Welcome to our Brave Feminine Leadership podcast series and welcome to my bite-sized conversation with Sally Bruce. I loved the conversation with Sally. Sally talked about playing the long game. You know, she got a seat at the table and she's been using her power as a leader to make change ever since. Sally's a country girl at heart. She's never had regard for hierarchy and has followed her instincts and heart in changing career and industry many times. Her colleagues at Macquarie thought it was absolute madness that she was moving on. Sally's an extrovert and she used the COVID lockdowns to find her next opportunity. So listen in for the incredible tips that she shares. You know, Sally, like all of the amazing leaders in this series, also has her own inner voice of doubt. She even named that voice. I loved this conversation. You know, Sally is clear on the personal power that leaders have to make change. And she's never forgotten how hard it is to succeed in a world not designed for you. And she's doing something about it. Sally's the COO and CFO at Culture Amp, and her previous roles have included CEO of AMP Bank and CFO for Business and Personal Banking at NAB. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I absolutely loved it. If you want more, you can find the full conversation with Sally and I as part of the Brave Feminine Leadership podcast. Thank you for joining and let's get into the chat. So let's go to um, to each of those jobs, I guess, a little bit and just think about some of those roles. And so let's start with Macquarie. And, you know, I remember... Um, I mean, it was a big decision for you to move on from Macquarie, right? Tell us you about that. Yeah, I um, so I started Macquarie when I was 18. They hired me while I was in first year at uni. So, you know, literally I grew up there. Mm. And, um, you know, that was just you know, such good luck to land in such a wonderful organisation like Macquarie. But I was, I'd been there 20 years and I just wasn't satisfied anymore and uh, you know it was niggling me for quite some time that I didn't really think I was learning anymore Mm. Um, I could play the meetings in my head before I got there because I knew who all the players were I knew them well I respected them but I could also kind of work out and get in front of what the dialogue would be Mm. and I started to get anxious about am I not learning and I'm not a great person to be bored. I should be challenged and I should be stretched. And I had two small children at that stage. And I think a very practical person would have said, you know, you've got a great job in an amazing organisation. I wouldn't disrupt that now. Mm. And I sat for about two years before I made the decision to leave. Uh, And I had lots of people telling me that it was an absolute madness absolute madness to leave but I knew I knew in my heart that my time was done there I had loved it it had served me well I had served it well but if I was going to continue to grow uh, and continue the journey of learning um, I needed to go somewhere else so um, someone literally said to me when I took the job at NAB uh, you know you've just gone from one end of the bell curve to the other what are you thinking and I tell you gee you know, think, yeah, I knew this was a pretty big move, but I didn't expect everyone to be so vocal about it. But it was brilliant. Sally, did you have very good um, mentors or sponsors at that point in time? Like, would you have, would you have pursued that opportunity on your own, or was that really down to someone spotting, spotting uh, that capability? 
Uh, look, so I wouldn't have pursued it on my own. And um, mainly because I've always had my head on. I love running businesses. I love running teams. I love running businesses. And so the CFO role was really tangential for mm. me. Uh, but I'd had um, a few people who were kind of guiding me and advising me as um, as I went along and talking to me about different tangential roles that I could consider. And so there'd been a few seeds planted and there were definitely people within NAB who were really backing me and going, look, let's see how far uh, she can go. And I mean, what a massive chance to take on someone. I, I mean, I knew stepping into that role, what a privilege it was because I walked into, you know, quite a large department of finance professionals yeah. who were brilliant and who had probably been working 24, 20 odd years with their eye on that role. Mm. And then I get airdropped in from nowhere, you mm. know. So um, there were people who had confidence to give me opportunities. Cameron Klein at the time was the CEO mm -hmm. and he was a really big believer that you back talent. Uh, and uh, but there were a number of people in there who were opening my eyes to possibilities and you know frankly because I'd been in Macquarie for 20 years uh, whilst it was a magnificent place I was a little bit insular I'd never actually thought about what else I could do yeah. uh, and so they really opened my eyes to that and that there were different possibilities so very very lucky. Sally can I ask have you ever, um, you know, I've spoken a fair bit about some of the double binds that women often find themselves placed under. So um, too hard, too soft, never just right when it comes to leadership and things like that. Have you experienced those at any point in your career? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's so many traps for women. Uh, I think uh, when you're, you know, um, confident, you're perceived to be competent, uh, and uh, you know that plays really uh, well um, in a gender sense from a male perspective, less so from a woman's perspective, because confidence isn't necessarily deemed to be competence. Um, I think there's really so many traps um, for a woman. I mean, one thing that you may not pick up on this very, very kind um, Zoom podcast is. I'm six foot tall uh, and I'm kind of blonde and an extrovert. I'm not a small person. Uh, so I'm big in a room. Like, you know, it's interesting to be a big woman in a room. Mm. And, uh, you know, you take up a lot of space and uh, you're not, it's, it's hard to be invisible. Whereas, you know, I think lots of times um, women are invisible in a room you, you know you hear it all the time and I've seen it and I've experienced it where a woman has an idea but it's not heard until a man has the idea I think one of my double binds is actually that I am big I am present um, and back to you know the sixth of sixth um, I don't regard hierarchy and that plays against me and for me uh, I think it's really quite binary the people who love it and the people who go mm, is she a bit out of her station so you know, you definitely see that. Mm. So where do you think it's played against you in what kind of ways? Um, look, it's played against me um, hierarchically in terms of people thinking that I'm outside of my station. 
Yeah. I think it also played against me um, in a team sense at times. And uh, that one was a really great learning for me because that's something I can control mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, you're with a team and um, you're a kind of physically um, present leader who's physically large and also female. And I really worked out that sometimes the voices that were most important to be heard would not speak because I was taking so much room. Mm. So I I learned to make myself small in those forums to try and create safety for people to speak. So kind of that's in a downward sense, the double bind, which probably doesn't get talked about as much. Um, In an upward sense, uh, you know, I really have had to learn to play the longer game I think when I was younger, I would be infuriated by it. I would feel it. I would mm-hmm. be sidelined. You know, I'd be pushed to the end of the table quite literally or or not invited um, quite literally. Uh, and I had some really, you know, palpable experiences of that. And I really had to learn instead of um, stepping into it and getting upset about it, that playing the longer game was the game I needed to play and then I could be at the table to stop it happening for others so you know I got really good at um, navigating my way in there to be the person that actually was missed because they were so valuable and we wanted their contribution to the conversation Um, but then I never ever forgot how I was treated so you know um, get really good at if you know, uh, Melissa, you said something and then it wasn't heard until the bloke said it, going, oh, yes, well, yeah, no, you agree with Melissa. I hear yeah. that. I hear that. Um, so, but I did have to play a longer game and have a bit of patience uh, to kind of navigate some of that stuff. Why do you think you've been as successful as you've been? Oh, look, one of my bosses at Macquarie said to me once that, um, and, you know, it was both a compliment and not a compliment. Uh, one of my dear, dear friends still today, he said to me, oh, I always give Sal the thing that is hardest and worrying me most. Mm. And he said, because two things happen. One, she always comes back with 110 or 120% of what I expected and I don't have to worry about it and it's solved. Second, it keeps her really busy and she's not a pain in the ass. So, um, but I think it's the first, you know, um, I have a really good ability to work with people to solve things. Mm. Um, I'm positive and ambitious, um, but um, I don't, uh, you know, I, I, I really drive for teams that are, Um, intelligent, ambitious, and humble. Mm. And um, I think the humility is really big because, you know, we do great things, but there's no heroes. It's like the team wins. And, um, you know, so at times I wonder whether, you know, that's a bad thing that, you know, we don't grab more of the kudos or make ourselves large from the accomplishments But actually, I think it's been a real kind of secret to my success because I can get things done. Um, I don't I don't have to kind of uh, be the winner in the race. I want to lift the whole boat and people really trust that and they work with that. And um, I work really hard to grow 
the people in the team. And so I just find people do extraordinary things um, when we line up and go, okay, we want to do this. Yeah, it looks impossible, but hey, imagine what you can say you've done at the end of it and I'm going to do everything to help you get there. And so I've always surrounded myself with great people, as said earlier. Um, it, it, it makes no sense to me why you would not hire people smarter than you. It has served me extraordinarily well. Take the pressure off. Oh, well, you know, who wants to have to have all the answers? Oh, That's my God. Why, why is that slow uh, and feels like it's stalled? Yeah. Well, it's hard. It's really hard as a, a woman to succeed. Um, it's, uh, you know, uh, you're succeeding in a world that is not designed for you. So let's talk about caring responsibilities. Um, and COVID is just going to be disastrous for this. I mean, I'm seeing women who are just talented and brilliant going, I just can't do it. And, oh, my God, like, how could they with homeschooling? You know, we, we need to create a system and a set of expectations where households and caring responsibilities are shared responsibilities. And, um, you know, we need to accommodate that. So flexibility in the workplace is still so far from where it needs to be. Mm. Um, societal attitudes are so far from where it needs to be. So, you know, and let's just talk about the school system, you know, kick up and drop off times. So, like so far from where they need to be for us to access all the amazing talent. Um, and, you know, when I, you know, when I left uni, we already had more than 50% women graduating. So yes. more women than men. So we have had for more than 30 years, more women than men graduating. So the system is not working. But I also, you know, am a really big believer that we personally do not do enough. So I'm really big on every one of us has power. And so, uh, you know, just last week, beautifully, someone I worked with probably 15 years ago um, pinged me and said, I did a talk this week and I spoke to how you role modelled um, raising children and having a big job and made it okay for the rest of us. And I thought, oh, God, 15 years ago. Yeah, we, we worked a long time ago together. But, you know, things like that change people's destinies. Absolutely. You know? And so are you, as a leader, providing absolute flexibility like I remember a long time ago sitting was when I went to um first went to NAB um I said to them if you want to work flexibly no the answer is yes the question is how are we going to share responsibility for that mm. and um oh my god it was so controversial because every all the people people leaders who reported to me went what have you done? Like you've just said every one of my team can ask me to work flexibly and I can't say no. Mm. And I went, yes, I have. Mm. And so, you know, we have a lot of personal power on this stuff. We have personal power to um, keep women in their jobs by making it easier. We have personal power to make sure that they're paid fairly. We have personal power to hire diverse teams. Like you don't need to wait for the company policy for this stuff. No. Like, Sure, you know, the company may not be there, but your team can have absolute flexibility freedom. They can have like pay for like roles. You make those decisions and you can have, you know, the most diverse group of people across gender and all other attributes, whether it's racial, religious, 
sexual preference, et cetera. Like you do that. And I think we wait too much for people to do it for us. Mm. Um, and actually one of the greatest gifts for me of going into the CFO role was I walked into the finance department and I had the most diverse team I'd ever had. Um, and so I just can't believe we don't use our finance part departments more. Like they are full of really smart women. Yes. And they are full of people of different cultural backgrounds. Like I walked in and went, I don't, I don't have a diversity problem in here. This is the first time I've never had a diversity problem. Yet, like there was no one tapping into that resource and going, well, like these people are really smart, really commercial. They understand the business. Put them in a line role. Like mm. why are we not using every finance department in the country to seed line role succession? Like it's crazy. It's mm. it is actually the most likely role to go to CEO, but we still don't get the women or the people of color or diversity to the CFO. Like, like we don't even pull them up in the channel they're in, let alone seed them across the organization. Like, you know, we don't use our personal power. We are, you know, the system has to change, but it's only going to change by us doing that because you get a tipping point. Sally, a lot of people um, feel um, that they're, they're stuck. They need to make a, a decision about maybe leaving somewhere or, you know, they're not learning or a whole range of different things. You know, what's your advice to people who are kind of feeling stuck at this point in their career potentially? Yeah, I'm really big on make the change, back yourself. Um, you know, I as I said earlier, I worked um, at... I ran AMP Bank during the AMP crisis. And, you know, there are a lot of people who were quite genuinely concerned, you know, with everything that's gone on. Um, you know, should I stay here? Can I actually move because I've got this on my CV, et cetera? And I was constantly saying to them, like, you know, you are not stuck. You know, it, it, that is your perception. Your perception is you can't move. And, yes, there are times when it's harder than others. Like I think if you're nine months pregnant, resigning might yeah. be a bit crazy. Um, but, um, you know, and, and or, you know, your spouse is out of work or there's things like that. But um, most of the time the constraints are of our own making. I left Macquarie and Macquarie is an amazing place. I loved it. And, um, but I truly had drunk all the Kool-Aid yeah. and was frightened that there was nowhere else good in the country to work. Yes. And I've met so many of my colleagues and go, like, are there really good places outside of Macquarie? Because, you know, Macquarie's great. And go, yeah, no, no, there are great places and great people. You can find them. They do exist. Um, and so I think most of those constraints of our own making uh, and I would advise anyone who is lacking the confidence to make the change mm. to find the person that they regard the most and they trust the most and ask them if they think they've got potential elsewhere. Yep. I know the answer will be yes. Yes. And then they should listen to them. Yep. They should feed their ego a bit and listen to them. So, Sal, what would your advice be about the three questions a leader should ask themselves to, to become more self-aware? I think the first one is something I referenced earlier, is are you doing everything in your power to create a better workplace for your people? 
so much that we can do without waiting for the system. Mm -hmm. And I think that's incredibly powerful and spending some time of reflection on what are the things in my control that will create the best work environment is only stuff that's going to amplify your leadership. Those insights are just so valuable and you change the world for the people who are working for you. The second one is, and I'm a really big believer in having a network of people who can you can really uh, share with. And so I create relationships with people where the rule is I will share wildly with them. Anything I have that is useful to them, be it knowledge, be it IP, whatever it is, um, I will make it available to them to help them be successful and help them on their way. Some caveats, obviously, in banking, can't be illegal, you can't be colluding, all of those kind of things. But that's pretty easy to navigate. No one asks you to do that stuff anyway. Um, it's like, have you done this before? Who have you used? I've got this problem. And so I really index on doing that because what is reciprocated is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And that is you have a group of people who are both well, they're capable, they're trustworthy, and they're generous. And so they're a great network of people to help you. And it can be help you with things. Um, but what's really great from a leader's perspective is they're great with advice and they're great with feedback. So in this situation, what have you done? How have you seen it? Or what am I doing? What am I missing? And giving you the feedback. Perhaps this is what's going on. This is how you show up. This is what's going on. And I find that the feedback thing and finding people who can give you feedback is just gold because it's hard to give feedback and you have to be courageous and you have to really care um, because you can give someone the feedback they need to hear, but you have to risk that they may not respond well to it. And so only people who really care for you are probably going to be brave enough to do that. And so facilitating that environment where people will tell you what you need to hear. Um, and, you know, I think you have to kind of pay it forward. You pay it forward with trust and creating that. So that's really, really big. Look, and the, the last one is um, you've got to role model what you want to see. You really, really do. Um, if you're doing it, it, it it's, it's not do, it, I, do as I say, um, not do it as I do. You actually really have to. Um, and when I ran the mortgage book at NAB, um, every week on a Tuesday, I would leave the office at 2.30. Now, Tuesday was particularly important because once a month, the RBA would meet on a Tuesday and would set interest rates. And so one of those Tuesdays every month was a bit of a nightmare because it was RBA day. But actually, that was why I chose it. I chose it so that no matter what was going on, I walked out the door at 2.30 on a Tuesday um, and I'd pick up my kids from school. I'd have a chat to their teacher. We'd have play date day. So I'd meet their little buddies. I'd have a sneaky Chardonnay with the parents. So I'd meet the parents and the team knew at 7pm, I would be available again because my children had 7pm bedtime. Yep. Um, yep. And so, you know, we'd have media inquiries and things like that. They'd hold them until 7 because they knew I was prioritising family. You've got to role model this stuff because actually your permission feels a bit like bullshit. Yes. Unless you're doing it. And um, it's no, like, 
you know, someone else telling you it's okay is always a leap of faith. It's still a leap of faith, but unless you're role modeling it, um, it's not going to happen. So um, policies aren't going to get you there. So I think that's a really big way to be self-aware of how your leadership and your shadow or your halo, depending which one you choose to have. Sal, the last question I ask everybody is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership mean? And do you think it needs to change? There needs to be more of it. Um, but I think it's be you and make it safe for others to be them. Um, we've done some research at Coltramp uh, because we survey across the globe and uh, we have got data that shows that if you rate high on belonging, mm-hmm. if your staff say they belong, you will outperform. We've proven that on the NASDAQ, on the FTSE and on the ASX of all our survey companies. So, um, you know, be you, show it's okay to be you and make it okay for others to be them. And uh, I had this conversation recently um, uh, with some chief executive women colleagues that we have to be braver. We have to be braver. Because, yes, there are more consequences for women for being bold. Yes. There absolutely are. Let's not pretend there's not. But if me, as a white and privileged woman, can't take those risks, how can I expect anyone else who doesn't have all the natural-born favour that I have? So it's on me to make those steps, to be the one who creates the ruffles because, you know, if I'm a young woman, like God forbid I'm Brittany Higgins, like it's just, you know, the weight of the world is against you. You've got power disbalances, let alone if they're cultural differences or anything else about you that makes you feel like you don't belong. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those of us who are born naturally with, you know, the wind at our back, even though there are bigger consequences, have to be prepared to face into them. Thanks so much for listening. If you've loved these conversations and you want to join in and be part of the Brave Feminine Leadership community and fill yourself up with inspiration, there are lots of ways you can find us. Our website is bravefeminineleadership.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook if you look at at Brave Feminine Leadership. Or find us on LinkedIn and connect and become part of an incredible community of senior professionals. Come and join us. Can't wait to see you there.